We must go hard and we must go early. We must do everything we can to protect the health of New Zealanders. That is exactly why, to tackle this global pandemic, Cabinet made far-reaching and unprecedented decisions today because these are unprecedented circumstances. In addition to restrictions on air travel, we are also taking firm measures on cruise ships. I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, is coronavirus the iceberg that will sink the cruise ship industry? As of midnight tonight, we're issuing a directive to all cruise ships not to come to New Zealand until at least 30 June 2020. That is for incoming cruise ships. There are worse places to get sick, but uh, if you're in a situation where your cruise ship is uh, under quarantine lockdown, they're terrible places to be, as we saw with the Diamond Princess episode in Japan. Those who had uh, windows or balconies were, uh, had a much better experience than those stuck on the ins- inside cabin. The largest coronavirus outbreak outside mainland China is not in a country as such, it's on a cruise ship. It's called the Diamond Princess. Conditions aboard the vessel, dubbed the prison ship, aren't exactly fit for a king. The cruise ship has been quarantined in Yokohama. The number of infections on the Diamond Princess cruise ship has doubled in a single day to 135. That includes a health official who boarded to hand out questionnaires and then became infected. Kiwis love cruising. It's about uh, 100,000 New Zealanders who take a cruise a year. It's grown really quickly in the last uh, three or four years. Kiwis are the keenest cruisers in the the world. So the announcement over the weekend sent shockwaves throughout the country. In the summer months, in our peak season, 90% of our clients are internationals. Um, So not having any new tourists coming in, um, it's going to devastate us. I'm not sure how we're going to survive. I can understand uh, why the Prime Minister and Government are uh, deciding to take these steps, uh, but they certainly are much harsher than anywhere else in the world. Uh, And once again, they seem to have the, the most serious implications for us on the cruise industry. Not only are New Zealanders the biggest adopters of cruising per capita in the world, the number of ships berthing here has rocketed, bringing with it big dollars for our tourism industry. We had more than 1,100 port calls during summer, up 10% from the year before. In Australasia, the industry is thought to support more than 18,000 jobs and contributes $5 billion every year to the region. Our producer Alexia Russell spoke to the Herald's business travel writer Grant Bradley about the boom. There's a lot of word of mouth with cruise. Uh, once a family member takes one, has a good experience. There's an attraction through that, and also cruises aren't bad value um, when you look at other holidays. Uh, it's uh, a nice, convenient, easy, easy holiday, and uh, uh, lots of families like doing it. Multi-generational families. And the prices have come down, haven't they? Yeah, they have, and they've uh, come down since this coronavirus outbreak took off, and I think you're seeing cruises, uh, eight-day cruises up to Fiji for less than $500. So that's, um, if you're prepared to take a bit of a punt, that's phenomenal value. Unless you get stuck in a port, you can't get out of your room, and coronavirus is running rampant through the ship. Yeah, and uh, hence the government's travel warning. Uh, okay, what, what exactly have they said? They've advised... Uh, people uh, in particular with underlying medical conditions to reconsider taking a cruise. So in a way it's, uh, it's MFAT saying 
we'll do our best, but you have been warned. The complications of repatriating New Zealanders from uh, distant ports would be um, quite large. The cruise ship industry worldwide is worth about $200 billion. Ross Klein is a Canadian professor of social work at Memorial University in Newfoundland and has completed extensive research into the international cruise ship industry. He says it will take a big hit, but not a fatal one. This is an industry that's very resilient, so I, I don't think this is going to sink them. I think it may set them back a bit. It will certainly uh, cause them to maybe become a little bit less arrogant as an industry, but I I don't see, see them being sunk. I, I think it's a matter of them having to step back and to, in a sense, reintroduce their product at a point where people feel ready to go on a cruise again. Three of the largest cruise ship companies in the world, Carnival, Royal Caribbean and Norwegian, are all suspending global operations until at least next month. Their stocks have also dropped, in some cases, by nearly 80%. And then there's that bad publicity. After 14 days of quarantine, authorities are now allowing hundreds of passengers to leave, some walking off the ship and getting into taxis. Japanese infectious diseases expert Kentaro Iwata was on the ship Tuesday and calls it chaotic. Iwata says over and over he saw things that could spread the virus. People wearing protective gloves, eating or using cell phones, papers carried from room to room. He says he's worked on cholera, SARS and Ebola. And this experience is the first time he's been frightened. The Diamond Princess is a reflection of the futility of and the absurdity of quarantining a vessel and not quarantining sick individuals. So you have a vessel where everybody's stuck on board and you've got sick crew members in the crew mess eating with people who aren't sick. And then they are, they're trying to figure out how is the, how is the illness being dis, d- dispersed? Well, maybe those crew members who are serving the, the passengers of food are bringing the illness with them. But, Oh, no, that, that, they don't think like that. And, of course, they've already said that passengers bring it with them so crew members can't be the reservoir. So, of course, the crew members aren't the problem. But we saw that that was the pro- part of the problem. And it does seem interesting to me that when illnesses do get on cruise ships, it just seems to spread. Yeah. Well, well they're a perfect incubator for illness in part because they're closed environments but also because people come on board to socialise. Being cooped up in an inside cabin during a pandemic isn't the only issue with cruising. There are huge environmental issues, concerns about low-paid labour and the lack of contribution to local economies. Cruise lines are making considerably more money proportionately than are the ports on which they make their money from. But ports are very often willing to accept uh, a smaller amount of money than what they're told they're going to make in the hopes that in the future maybe they'll do better. And the cruise industry promises that every cruise passenger is going to spend $100 per port call. And when the port experiences that the spending is less than that, the port thinks, well, it must be our fault. We've got to do something better in order to generate that money. It can't be the cruise industry's fault. It can't be that they gave us false numbers. Oh, no, they wouldn't do that. Mm. But, I mean, 
the problem becomes cruise passengers don't generate the income the ports believe, uh, and ports tend to be disappointed. That isn't to say that cruise tourism doesn't have a positive impact, but uh, ports make decisions about building new terminals, make decisions about infrastructure, all based on projected income. And if that projected income is off by a significant amount, then all those commitments become problematic. Right, yeah, because they've built all this infrastructure for these cruise ships, but they're not getting anything in return. Oh, yeah. You've done a lot of research into cruise ships, Ross, and you presented before Senate committees and the House of Representatives before as well. And I have to say, you know, reading some of your work, there are a lot of problems with the cruise ship industry, aren't there? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, like any industry, they have their, their share of issues. Um, I think what's unfortunate is, unlike other industries, they've been less responsive to dealing with some of those issues. So they they just don't take responsibility is what you mean? Or they just view things like some of their environmental practices, uh, some of their attitudes about uh, uh, crime on board their ships. They, 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 those are just the price of doing business. I mean, Carnival Corporation was fined $40, $40 million for an environmental violation. Uh, they then a year later were fined another $20 million because they only had 800 violations of their probation. Only 800 in a year. 800? Yes. I mean, you know, they only violated environmental laws 800 times in a year. That's okay. So they got a $20 million <laughs> fine on top of that. That's just the price of doing business because it's cheaper to pay $60 million in fines than it is to be environmentally responsible. Wow. That is so interesting. It's cheaper to pay off victims of sexual assault on your cruise ships than it is to actually deal with the problem of sexual assault. And, and I'd like to cover a few of those issues that you've raised. So starting you know, with the environmental impact, what are the issues there? And, and can some of these cities, and I'm thinking cities like Venice, cope with the growing number of cruise ships docking at their harbour? Well, see, there's there's different environmental issues. One issue becomes the numbers of of cruise ships, which means the numbers of passengers. We're talking about the, the whole issue of people pollution, having more people than the carrying capacity of a particular area. Mm. But there's also issues of what 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 is what are the waste products that a cruise ship produces leaves behind, otherwise, that impact a port community. Um, I mean, one of them would just be the the waste stream in terms of uh, of, of sewage and grey water. A, a ship is a ship is producing about four hundred liters of wastewater per passenger per day. Okay, of that, uh, about ninety percent is grey water. That's from showers, sinks, things of that sort. Now, it's generally viewed as innocuous, but studies done by the US EPA, by other US agencies have found that grey water can be as deleterious as raw sewage. But that water can be discharged legally anywhere. Really? And and that's under global maritime law? Exactly. And so they can be discharging it legally in Auckland Harbour. 
The other type of wastewater would, would, would be sewage. Now, most of the cruise ships use, they're going to call them advanced wastewater treatment systems or waste advanced wastewater purification systems. And they're going to say the wastewater coming from this is drinking water quality. But what they're not going to tell you is that wastewater coming from those systems don't deal effectively with heavy metals, copper, zinc, things of that sort. They don't deal well with pH, so the water may be out of balance. Mm. They don't deal well necessarily with fecal coliform. Um, Sorry, what's and, that? Uh, cool. The nastiest stuff you don't want, which is going to give you norovirus. Right. You know, <laughs> feces, fecal coliform. You're, you know, you're so, saying it the polite way. <laughs> yes, exactly. But no, but the, I mean, the systems work sometimes, but they don't always. And the issue becomes... They're discharging this. And the only reason why we know these systems don't work is because the only place in the world that actually monitors them is Alaska. Nowhere in the world does anybody even look at what a ship is discharging. So we don't know what they're discharging in Auckland or in Dunedin or in any other port in New Zealand because no one's actually monitoring. They trust the industry when the industry says, we meet or exceed all international regulations. Well, how do we know that when we don't test? And um, the other thing as well is the carbon emissions, right, from cruise ships. NGO Transport and Environment studied the 203 cruise ships sailing European waters in 2017. Their report shows those ships pumped out 62 kilotons of sulfur dioxide. That's along with 10 megatons of CO2. Barcelona, Mallorca and Venice, some of the worst affected areas. Ships generally use some of the heaviest, least refined fuel on the market, which is not taxed making it cheaper for ships to generate electricity in ports just by running their engines. Part of that would be the fuel they're using. And, of course, I mentioned in terms of their, salt, their, their use of scrubbers. Um, so the scrubbers actually reduce the amount of particulates. So the sulfur and nitrous oxides are reduced, but they increase often the amount of CO2, which is the global warming issue. Um, also, I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the water purification systems. They, they don't deal effectively uh, with nutrient loading. Nutrient loading is what kills uh, the, the, the coral reefs. The death of coral reefs has a direct impact on global warming. Mm. But, you know, I, I mean, it's a complex picture. Some of their, their other waste streams would be uh, uh, solid waste and, of course, the question isn't what they produce. The question is what is they what can they legally discharge at sea, and when it comes to solid waste, almost anything that can sink into the bottom of the ocean can be discharged. Really? Now, oh yeah. So, so like they can just can, chuck food overboard. If it fits into a one-inch screen, into a, a two-point-five centimeter screen, it, it can go overboard. I think you got to be three miles beyond the coastline. Right. Food waste, oh, anything. Uh, car cardboard, as long as it doesn't float, if you're 24 miles beyond the coastline. Uh, oh, no, glass, as long as you crush the glass, the glass can be thrown overboard, cans, everything. Plastic? Plastics aren't allowed except at uh, Carnival in their 800 violations in their first, first year, and in their 200 violations in the first quarter of the second year were found to be discharging plastics. Wow, okay. Yeah, the plastics have been one of those, you, know, you never put plastics in the ocean, but hey, 
another part of your research was looking into sexual assaults on cruise ships and mysterious disappearances. Can you talk me through about why that has been such an issue on cruise ships? Well, it's an issue because not only that they occur, but the, the industry has known that they've occurred for so long, particularly sexual assaults. The sexual assaults became an issue back in the late 1990s uh, when the New York Times did a number of investigative journalism studies. And what they were finding was not just the incidence of sexual assaults, but the number of sexual assaults committed against minors. The, the actual numbers became visible, I think it was in 1999, the Carnival Corporation admitted that Carnival Cruise Lines had received 108 complaints of sexual assault in the previous five years, and Royal Caribbean had said 58 complaints in the previous five years. So that created this visibility that this is a problem. The industry seemed to confront it as a problem, but they never really dealt with it. So the latest data that we have that's reliable is one's 50% more likely to be sexually assaulted on a cruise ship than on land in Canada. Wow. And, and 34% of the victims are children under Chil the age of 18. Under the age of 18. Wow. Yes. Now, this is the, the, the industry, when I first presented that data, and actually the first time I presented that data was in 2005 or 2006 at a conference in Auckland. That data was then, in 2013, verified by a Senate committee. And so what happened out of that? Did they do anything to try and change that? Well, Royal Caribbean, because of the nature of the visibility they were put under, that kind of, that kind of magnifying glass, they did appear to improve their, their uh, dealing with sexual assaults. You know, the latest data from Carnival is now nah, they're still they're still at a rate of about 115 per 100,000 of sexual assaults that they report uh, in Canada. The rate of sexual assault is below 70 per 100,000. And, and of course, these incidents aren't aren't being recorded or in any way dealt with in other countries other than in North America, other than the U.S. Ross Klein hasn't always been a skeptic of cruises. In fact, he used to be a frequent customer. My wife and I, when we got together in 1992, took to cruises as a vacation choice. So from 1992 to 2002, I spent about th over 300 days on cruise wow. ships. <laughs> and in about 2005 was the pivotal point where we spent close to 50 days on cruise ships that year. And I thought to myself, I'm a sociologist. There's things going on here. There's things to be written about. And when I came home and I looked in the academic literature, I found that nobody was writing anything about cruise ships at all. Mm. So 2005, 6, 7 is when I decided, hey, this is, a, this is going to be my area of research as a sociologist. And it took off from there. I've always had a kind of social justice, kind of uh, social rights kind of perspective in anything I've done. So it's translated into this work. So what was it that you saw on the cruise ship that sparked your interest into thinking, hey, this might not be quite right? Well, I think the initial things were were, were two or three. One was, uh, this was at the peak of the industry talking about how environmentally responsible they were and how they took it very seriously. And I was on a cruise line that had their, what they called their Save the Ways campaign. And while I watched all the things they said about how good they were, 
I sat at a bar every night at sunset and watched them throw the garbage overboard and the fish go to take it. Oh. And it was like, this doesn't quite fit, particularly since we're in the Mediterranean, which is a special area that doesn't allow discharge of any garbage anywhere. So that was the first thing. Mm. That, then, that, then I had, on the same ship, had a room steward, and we, we had been delivered a, uh, a fruit basket. And, of course, on a cruise ship, you, you get more food. What are you going to do with it? And I, I said to the, the room steward, I said, well, if you'd like some of the fruit, please take it. He said, actually, he says, I don't get any fresh fruit. As crew members, we don't see any of that. So if you don't mind. It was like a tear came to his eye because I gave him a couple of oranges and apples. Are they exploited on cruise ships? It depends on your reference point. If you don't mind working 11 hours a day, every day of the week for 10 months at a salary of $500 US, of which your employer may take some money off the top because of whatever, then no, they're not exploited. It all depends on your reference point, you know? Mm. Uh, industry would say, well, they're making more money here than they would at home, so they're doing quite well. Uh, but do we want to be going on a sweat ship? I can get a cheap cruise, but I get a cheap cruise on the back of that worker who's making $500 a month. When do you think we're going to have another big cruise ship disaster like the Titanic? Well, I think the coronavirus could be one of those disasters that's going to uh, have a major impact on redesigning the cruise industry. Um, aside from that, I think the next disaster will probably be something that would be more of a terrorist sort of event. You know, and I think that's always the fear uh, with cruise ships getting larger and larger. I mean, today, the cruise ships have 10,000 people on board. I mean, it's, that's just frightening. And I, mean, I think there's there will be a time that something's going to happen. The question is, what is going to be the the precipitating uh, cause of that happening? Will it be terrorist or will it just be a plain accident? That's it for today. I'm Jesse Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ on Air. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poik and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Grant Bradley and Ross Klein. Ka kite anō. Ka kite anō.